Today on the IT Pro TV podcast, we're joined by Duncan Cabinu of the Gainesville Dev Academy. We're going to jump into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and blockchain, figure out what's going on there and if we should put our money there. That's all coming up on the IT Pro TV podcast starting right now. Hello and welcome to the IT Pro TV podcast. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and today we've got a really special episode. We're going to be talking about something that's in the news a lot right now, specifically, what's the deal with Bitcoin? We've decided we have to say it in a Seinfeld way if it's going to be written like that. But uh, <laughs> here to help us with this, we have, of course, Mr. Don Bizet, uh, who's always here. Don, how are you doing? I am doing great, ready to, to play the role of the Bitcoin um you know, cynic for this episode. <laughs> I, I pointed out before, play the role. I've heard you be cynical before, so I'm sure you'll be really good at that role. And here to help us really understand um, what the deal is with Bitcoin and uh, blockchain and some of the other things going on, we have Duncan Cabinu. Duncan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Peter. Now, Duncan, you are with the Gainesville Dev Academy. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that's all about? And Absolutely. Up to? Uh, Gainesville Dev Academy is a software development training school. Um most commonly known around the nation as a boot camp. Uh, it's a, a school where we take 12 weeks to train you in uh, specifically front-end development, such as web applications, and also mobile applications in iPhone or Android development, basically. So the cryptocurrency side of things, is that just something that's a passion for you, or is that uh, is that something you guys are going to be maybe doing some classes in? Um, it's a possibility that we're looking to is teaching the technologies behind it. And actually, my interest it's more of my interest, which is in cryptocurrency, both as an investor and also from a technical standpoint, uh, where when first cryptocurrency came to my understanding, I looked at uh, the technology behind it, blockchain, um, and was very intrigued by that. Well, your, your passion is making money. That sounds very smart. But counterpoint, Don, go. No. <laughs> who, who, who really <laughs> needs right money? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, well let's, let's kind of start at the beginning. I know um, if you've uh, been alive this year, uh, you've, you've heard the term Bitcoin around like crazy. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, the valuation numbers have been through the roof. But you've also probably heard it in some negative connotations before. I mean, it it is the chosen currency of of ransomware attackers. Um, but uh, let, let's just pretend that that I'm someone that just has heard Bitcoin a lot in the news this year and doesn't really know what it is. So help us kind of understand. I mean, cryptocurrency in general. What is it? So cryptocurrency is essentially just nothing but digital money. It's something that exists online. It's a virtual cash that you can actually use to do transactions um, uh, electronically. Um, I think the, the best way for people to kind of understand or kind of work towards understanding what it is, it's, it's, it's like having an ATM card. You technically don't have physical cash in your hand, but you can go in and um, with the assumption that when I do this transaction with my ATM card, that the money is going to go from my bank account to your bank account or to the merchant's account. And that's what it is. It's just a new form of um, digital currency that people can use um, to, 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 to do transactions. Okay, so when I give you a dollar, mm -hmm. I'm giving you a physical piece of paper, but you know that that has value because you can go to the government, basically, and, and, and they say this is what this is worth. Or, Correct. You know, we're not on a gold standard anymore, but, but there's, there's still something backing that. What's backing this up that I know if you give me this cryptocurrency that it's going to be worth anything tomorrow? Well, obviously the value can change, but right. wh where's this money coming from then? 
Um, so uh, unlike what's known as fiat currency, which is what you just mentioned, is a U.S. dollar backed by something, um, that technically is no intrinsic value that you can attach to it. Um, it's more of a perceived value based on um, um, the network itself and, and how much power it takes to process in order to actually create what's known as a block, uh, which you could get into later on, that, that allows us to verify transactions that are happening. Um, and so it's, it's more of a perception that basically we put a value together as, as a community saying that that's what we think it's worth. And I, I know that's like one of the big challenges that, that people like me have with, with believing that Bitcoin can be viable in any real form is that it only has value because somebody says it does. Correct. And, and that sounds silly, but that, that is legitimately what's going on here is somebody somewhere says Bitcoin is worth a certain value. And if you believe that, then you can participate in that, that culture, that environment, and you can potentially have it for that value. But the thing about Bitcoin, I think we need to remember why it was created because the challenge here is, who is it that's saying what that coin is worth? Who are all these people who feel like Bitcoin is worth what it is today? And I was just pulling up the numbers. As of, as of this very moment, Bitcoin, or one single Bitcoin, is worth 15254 U.S. dollars. So $15,000. Uh, compared to last year, one year ago, that is a $14,400 increase from the value last year. And if you go back... Even five years ago, it, five years ago, it was uh, it would be a fifteen thousand two hundred forty dollar increase, which means it was only worth like fourteen bucks back then five years ago. And in that time, you have this massive increase in valuation that is tied to literally nothing except for people saying we feel like it's worth something. So, who is saying that it's worth that? Right? Let, let, let's go back. And Duncan, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Bitcoin? Like, why was it even created in the first place for people to feel like it has value? So. Um, it was actually created by either a person or a group that we now know as Satoshi Nakamoto, um, who is, uh, for all intents and purposes, anonymous, really. Um, and the, it, it actually happened in 2008, which was essentially when the financial crisis happened in the country. And um, uh, there was a big bubble with the financial markets and the government and so on and so forth. And so this was a way to create something that wasn't based on government trust. Um, and is designed to be decentralized, uh, open transparency, and is essentially allows for anonymity and security and that kind of stuff. And it's the way I look at it is is we've gotten to a point with currency where we know it has reached a point where there's a paradigm shift where we say we're not trusting someone else in the middle to take care of this for this. And so this is where. Um, uh, Satoshi and them came up with the new uh, uh, way of actually creating a digital currency that's a lot more safer. And so. Okay, so so when uh, when the U.S. wants to release more currency, they'll print more, and, the, and they'll just kind of decide based on inflation and all those uh, factors of when they want to do that. Um, this kind of comes out in a in a different way. It's not that you know it's worth fifteen thousand, so now let's release some more bitcoins. Correct. Uh, can you talk about that process? So. Uh, Bitcoin itself, again, is based on, um, it's actually based on digital currency, right? And so this is actually a piece of algorithm. It's a code, piece of code that's written out there that says that it has, um, for based on the, the, the algorithm which they have, which is a decreasing algorithm, uh, basically states that you can't produce more than a certain amount. And that algorithm actually works out to that the most Bitcoins will ever have is 21 million coins. 
Um, and, um, and, and that's where part of that value comes in is that we'll never have any more. You can't print any more. Uh, just like with gold itself, and that's why gold standard kind of collapsed was because you couldn't produce any more gold. It's basically whatever we had, that's all we had, right? And it's the same thing in this area, in this particular case. It's a, it's a finite amount. Uh, where, where are we at right now? You said 21 million coins could be... At the moment, I believe we were at 16.7 million okay. coins mined so far. Uh, I've got uh, uh, I've got the statistics pulled up, and it's showing that it's sixteen point seven five million coins. That's yeah, correct. so so pretty far along. Not not too many coins left, but but Duncan, it it gets harder to mine each year, right? So That's it'll take correct. a lot longer to mine the remaining ones. That's correct. Um, part of that algorithm basically states that each time we get to a certain level. Uh, the math or the code behind it is supposed to increase in difficulty to solve because essentially that's what it is. When we're creating new uh, Bitcoins, uh, there's someone out there doing uh, called a miner who's using a computer to essentially solve an algorithm. And that algorithm unlocks these coins as well as blockchains and also validates transactions that have happened. And as we get closer and closer, that algorithm is designed to get more difficult. So... The estimated time to completion of mining all the coins is estimated to be about 2140 by the time we actually get to 21 million coins if we do. I'm looking and, forward to seeing and, that. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of interesting with this stuff because a lot of people are just now hearing about Bitcoin and, and seeing this value skyrocket, go through the roof and thinking, boy, I can mine for Bitcoin and right. I can just get one for free. If, if you got one Bitcoin, that's $15,000 and I can do that with equipment I've already got, right? And in the early days of Bitcoin, Duncan, I don't know when you got started with it. Uh, in the early days, it really wasn't that hard to to find a, a, a Bitcoin, to, to generate one. That's correct. Um, and the, the story I tell, I'm, I'm one of those people that uh, messed around with it in the early days because I, I wanted to learn about it. Uh, and I had about 1.4 Bitcoin uh, that I just threw away because <laughs> who cared, right? It, was, it wasn't even worth... $30 at the time, sure. and it, you couldn't spend it anywhere. You could go to some exchange and potentially turn it into U.S. dollars, but the, the transaction fees alone eat into it, and so you just throw it away. Nobody knew that five years later that would be worth a ton of money, so technically I threw away, I don't know, 20-some-odd grand. But you hear people on the Internet saying, that, like, I threw away X amount of dollars, but the reality is you didn't because the Bitcoin's technically worthless, Right. It, it, so I, I didn't throw away anything. I, I threw away a little bit of ciphertext is what I threw away. Uh, and the interesting thing, though, is that you, you were mentioning how there's only these 21 million Bitcoins. Once they get thrown away, like mine that's thrown away, that's gone forever. Right. Like well, I what actually does thrown away mean. I mean, I just deleted it. So someone else couldn't mine that same one because that that's already been mined. They, they can't mine it again. And potentially they could guess it. But these are cipher strings. Right. So it would be the same thing as guessing like a, I don't know, AES-256 encrypted private key. Like yeah. a, it's an astronomical level. Uh, there may come a day years from now when quantum computers are in every watch. And, and then, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, we calculate Bitcoin. There it is. And at that point, Bitcoin will literally have zero value. Yeah. Because, well, then they'll say it's only like $15,000. I mean, <laughs> not even worth the fees. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, part of the, the security of the coin. And... You know, another interesting fact here I'll throw in. Uh, I can throw all these facts in because I can read them on the internet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's 21 million coins, or potentially right. 21 million. Uh, the original creator, which may be a person or group, we don't know, uh, they created this because it was supposed to be a currency that wasn't controlled by government, that was right. independent. And 
they have a, a wallet, one of the first Bitcoin wallets that contains 980,000 Bitcoins. And it's just sitting there That's right now. Right. That is worth right now $15.2 billion. And they, they say that that's owned by this mysterious creator who they, over the years, they, they've thought they figured out who it was and then backed off. And so we still don't necessarily know. Uh, that is a huge amount of money for somebody sitting there, uh, just one of the original people. And who knows? Maybe maybe they deleted whatever their key was and, and they lost it. Or, or maybe they're just waiting. This value keeps going up. I would have sold it a long time ago. But if they do, that decreases the overall value. So it's a, a big, big trade-off on this stuff. Um, there's a huge amount of speculation going on. Now, Duncan, I wanted to get your input on this. One of the original initiatives with Bitcoin was to make it where no one government could control Bitcoin, right? right? That, that it was supposed to be uh, where if the U.S. government or the Russian government, Chinese government wanted to step in and manipulate the coinage, they couldn't, right? So it was independent of that, and that would help protect people. But that isn't 100% true, right? The, the way that these coins are mined and the way that transactions are validated, there is actually a scenario where a government could step in and get involved. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how those how the validations happen, what that process is, and and how there is this one scenario out there where somebody could, in theory, take control of the value of Bitcoin. Hmm. Um, so uh, uh, there's an underlying technology which is essentially known as the framework, which is blockchain, uh, that basically is this distributed ledger, so to speak, like an accounting book, basically, that does double entry, where... Um, rather than it being centralized as in one person or one entity is holding this ledger like your bank, it's everybody that's on a computer, uh, but in the in the network is known as a node, um, has access to this. And these are typically miners. They have access to this blockchain. And every time they validate transactions, uh, which is where they run in cryptographic uh, functions on this to solve this mathematical problem, um, uh, they're essentially adding a new block, and that's what people are competing for when they're mining is to see who can solve it the firstest. Well, you have to have a consensus on the network that basically says 51% of these nodes have to be in agreement, as in, I look at your ledger, I look at Peter's ledger, we all agree that this transaction is correct, and that gets accepted. And that's essentially what keeps in decentralized and transparent, so we kind of know that nobody can have this... Uh, ability to actually um, uh, cheat the system, so to and, speak. And that's also how we know that there's that wallet with 980,000 Bitcoins in there, right? Because the, the ledger itself is not secret. Right. Uh, you know, anybody can look at ledger. We just don't know who has, who has the wallet. But every transaction correct. is visible, right? That's correct. And so that's why, it, I mean, it is used to pay ransoms and things on, on data because you can see that that data exists, that money exists, but you can't Which, see... Who, who, who went who to who, or who did it. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Okay. The only people that know that is you and that other person. That's correct. So you mentioned something about um, how governments could... Um, um, actually, that's an interesting question. I, um, I've i never actually thought about how is that possible. Maybe you have some thoughts on like yeah. what exactly you're talking about. Well, you you mentioned the validation, right? right? So, so how much of the blockchain has to agree to validate something? Correct. Right? Right. So if I do a real and truthful transaction with Bitcoin, that's going to go in the ledger. Multiple nodes are going to learn about it. And, and nodes are, are people that are actively, you know, I guess we, we haven't really talked about that, right? We talked about people that are, are mining and you don't necessarily, you don't have to mine to be a node, do you, Duncan? 
No, you do not. I, I think if you're a miner, you're definitely a node. Correct. But you could be a node without mining. That's and, correct. Um, and just to, to clarify, because it gets confusing. Right. Uh, a miner is somebody who's who's actively mining for Bitcoin. And, and not miner is in underage, although they might be. Uh, but miner is in like digging in the dirt trying to find gold, right? So so they're running cryptographic hashes and, and algorithms to be able to try and find a, a Bitcoin. And while they're doing that, they're also validating transactions on the network. They're saying, yes, that's truthful or no, that's fake. Well, you could bring up a Bitcoin wallet and a lot of the wallet clients will make you a node as well. So you're validating transactions even though you're not mining. And that's a, a very low resource intensive operation versus mining, which will peg out your CPU or GPU or whatever at 100%. Um, so you've got these people that are validating the transactions. Well, in theory, you just need a majority of the nodes to agree on a transaction to be true to make it true. So if I wanted to do a false transaction, there's that wallet that I know is holding 980,000 Bitcoins. It's a, it's a known entity. I know the wallet's there. I know how much is in it. I can make a fake transaction that says, oh yeah, they just tra transferred all of those into my wallet. Well, if I put that transaction out there, what's going to happen? The other nodes are going to reject it. They're going to say that's false, that's right? But what if I controlled more than half of the validating nodes? Now, I, I, this was one of the statistics I saw here that uh, uh, they were showing right now there are 10,227 Bitcoin nodes online as of this very second, right? So if I controlled 5,114 nodes, then I could make a false transaction. I could say, yeah, they just transferred all that over to me, and... 51% of the nodes are right here with me, and they would all say, yep, he gets all that money, and now it's done. Everybody believes it, and it's in place. But that's pretty unlikely that somebody would be able to capture that many nodes, right? It, it, it seems unlikely. I mean, um, there is this concept of when we're uh, validating transactions, and how do you prove that you actually deserve the reward from the transaction fees or getting a crypto coin, which is called proof of work, right? And so that's what typically happens with single nodes that say, hey, I just solved the block. And it's like, okay, prove it to me. And you get to show all the work you did and how you came up with the hash and you were the first one to get it. Uh, but then there's this new idea of going to proof of stake, which essentially says it's whoever has the biggest stake in the industry with node-wise or mining-wise. And so I, I guess it's perfectly possible that if you have over 51% you know, of stake that you could sway um that 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 validation and possibly put out yeah. fake fake coins out there and as of right now that's not happening right so um the the statistics actually i've got a, a cool little map pulled up here it's fancy um but it's kind of showing the distribution of, of miners across the world this website is bitnodes.earn.com you gotta, mm -hmm. gotta earn um <laughs> but they're showing where all the the uh, nodes are, are kind of at and you'll see the u.s we're sitting at 27.47 percent that's a pretty big chunk of, of Bitcoin nodes right here in the U.S. Germany comes in second at 17%. So we are, are pretty far ahead of number two. Well, China uh, a few years back stepped in and, and I can't remember if they actually made Bitcoin illegal or if they just uh, imposed some kind of control. This year? Or yeah, the, they did. Change okay. this year. That's right. They but did. Prior to that, there was a point where over 51% of the Bitcoin nodes were actually in China. China's a massive country. There's a lot of people. They also have the big firewall that all internet traffic in and out of China passes through the government firewall. And they didn't, but potentially if they wanted to, 
that was one scenario where a government could have stepped in and said, you know what, we're going to impact this. We're going to potentially make false transactions. And since we have over 51% of the nodes behind our firewall, we can transmit that out. And now the rest of the world will believe it. So Bitcoin is not perfect. It's got got some flaws and and that that's one of them although that scenario is a little bit far-fetched right there's more realistic flaws right duncan well yeah and and one that concerns me would be um a, a denial of service where basically i can flood the network if i own a bunch of nodes with uh, false transactions because essentially when you put a transaction in there all these nodes are trying to solve uh and validate these transactions so imagine if i flooded you with a whole bunch of um uh, uh, you know, bad transactions that are not real and your computer's just sitting there trying to solve it. It basically will end up clogging the network and we can't get any valid stuff done at all. Has that happened yet or? Uh, you know, that's a good question because uh, we have seen congestion in some of the networks with, uh, with you know, all the speculation, everybody trying to get in. You've seen where Coinbase has had the network shut down. Well, I, we don't know what the reasons were. It could, you know, could yeah. be. Yeah, and, and going back uh, to mention kind of what happened this year in, in China, this is an article from CNBC um, from September of this year, back back in the days when Bitcoin was only worth $4,500, uh, <laughs> because it fell $200 after China made an announcement, basically uh, saying that uh, organizations could no longer raise funds using an ICO, or initial coin offering. Mm-hmm. So that that was sounds like another step in, in, in moves that China was making to... Um, well, basically keep people off of it. You know, uh, ICOs uh, are really popular right now, and and it goes back to um, something Duncan said at the beginning of the episode, which is w- when you have a currency, there's a, a value to it, and the value is usually based on scarcity. And with Bitcoin, you've got a limit. There's this 21 million coin limit, and that that creates the scarcity, right? But in reality, it's just a digital thing. It's a number. There is no scarcity. You can create as many Bitcoins as you want. The primary Bitcoin, the one that actually has the Bitcoin label on it, yeah, it's got this 21 million limit. But you can fork it and create your own, right? And plenty That's of people have. Like, uh, I think Dogecoin was one of my favorite ones. Uh, but there's Litecoin, Ethereum, um, there's several others that are all uh, big names. Uh, there was, uh, was it Coinye, right? The, there was the a Coinye, Coinye. That's one. correct, that after one, Kanye. That yeah, one was correct. awesome. Fantastic. Uh, anybody, it, it takes you literally minutes to generate your own currency with, with blockchain. Right. It's not Bitcoin. It's your own variation, but it's, it's the same exact thing. In fact, there's websites you can go to where you just give it a name and it'll generate your own uh, thing where you can start mining and generating your own. So there's literally no scarcity whatsoever. You can have as much of this stuff as you want, but nobody will have a perceived value of your currency That's great. versus Bitcoin. So it, it starts to lose its value. And so what people have started doing is creating their own coinage and saying, if you get in early, it's easy to mine right now. It'll be harder to mine later. And um, for lack of a better word, suckers are buying into this and saying, man, if I had got a Bitcoin at $5 a coin, it's worth $15,000 now. So I'm going to go and get uh, you know, Don coin, and I'll pay Don 5 bucks a coin, and he'll give me 1,000 coins. And one day, these will be worth 15000 And the reality is one day, they won't be worth anything. Right. But people are buying in. So the, the U.S. needs to step in and do something. And the SEC has started to get active in that. And that's true. Um, I, 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 I stand with you on this, that uh, ICOs, um, 
you probably have to do a lot of due diligence in in order to actually get into one because you're essentially buying into nothing. It's someone just saying that there's a promise of something happening, but it's been used currently as a a great tool for crowdfunding, which has worked successfully for some people, but you can see stories of people getting ripped off. And so uh, typically what happens, you know, with um, innovation is when it's new, um, everybody gets excited, right? There's a whole bunch of early adopters and everybody's excited and you're getting a lot of traction. But as soon as a lot of people get start to get impacted, that's when regulation kick in. And so with ICOs, that's where SEC gets involved because there's a potential that somebody's going to uh, call up and say, hey, uh, an another Bernie Madoff, we took off with my money, right? And so <laughs> the SEC gets involved. And so I, don't, I really um, see no reason why there would be a problem with the SEC getting involved with that. Uh, especially at this early stage where it's really complicated to understand what is cryptocurrency and the idea of perceived value as we've talked about. That's like, you know, I, I'm basically putting faith in something that has nothing back in it. And that's that's scary. Um, now, I, I had a question on something that, that also goes along with this. It's not necessarily a flaw, but something we need to be aware of. Um, for a little while, it was pretty trendy for online stores to start accepting Bitcoins. That's great. And uh, I remember Overstock.com. When they made the announcement, hey, we accept Bitcoin for payment now, and uh, Steam, the online video game platform, they started accepting Bitcoin. So you had all these platforms that were starting to accept it. Uh, almost all of them have backed out of that and, and shut it down. And the reasoning was usually two things, right? One was that the value was really inconsistent. So the, the value of the Bitcoin would go up and down, and you just never really knew. And so they couldn't set a fixed price for an item. Any price for an item had to be constantly fluctuating. That was a problem. But the other problem with the way that transactions were committed, and when you do a Bitcoin transaction, it's not like a credit card transaction. With a credit card transaction, you swipe your credit card, and a credit card processor gets involved, and a message is sent to the issuing bank, and funds are deducted, at least digitally, from your account. And it's all fairly instantaneous. But with Bitcoin, there's a whole transaction process we go through. And... Over the years, that transaction process has started to take longer and longer and longer. And they have transaction fees that they charge, which when the transaction delay is really long, you can pay money to make sure your transaction gets processed right away. Otherwise, you've got to wait until the transaction fees drop to a certain level. And the problem stores were having was that somebody would come and they could buy something with Bitcoin. And if the transaction window was four hours, then they would... They would buy something, they would check out, they would get the item, and if it hadn't committed to blockchain yet, they could recall the transaction. Mm -hmm. Kind of like doing a chargeback on a mm -hmm. credit card. Mm -hmm. But with an anonymous currency, you could recall it without repercussion. Mm -hmm. And and people were doing that. So, Duncan, do you have any insight on that that process? Like, why, why is the transaction window as, as large as it is? Um, it, it all has to do with uh, the blockchain technology itself. Um, and just the mere fact that you, you're doing this hashing and like we talked about, there's a level of difficulty that increases as we're getting closer and closer for, uh, in this particular case, Bitcoin, which everybody's more familiar with, it gets harder. And the harder it gets, that means there's more computational power needed in order to compute that and it's just taking longer. Um, so um, that is what we're seeing is the reason why it, it, it takes so long to do a transaction. I'm sure back when it first started, it probably didn't take that long. But now uh, you could see as much as, you know, 20 minutes to two hours to complete a transaction. And definitely that is an issue. And that's why a lot of retailers have not jumped on it. 
And the, this is a known issue. And so the core developers and other uh, private developers are working on creating networks that are faster and better. Uh, they've considered uh, increasing the size of blocks just so that you can have more transactions in it and happen and make that go faster. Um, and so you'll see stuff like, uh, for example, Litecoin uh, using the Lightning Network, which is supposed to be much faster with lower transaction fees that's getting somewhat popular for that reason. Uh, but Bitcoin, um, as popular as it's been, you know, has, has, has had forks, uh, which essentially they had a hardware fork, which basically someone says this blockchain is not as fast. I know how to build a faster one. And so I created a new one. And sometimes that comes a currency, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and, and, and that is the, the, a big contention at the moment. Don, I had a question when uh, going back to those examples of some of the kind of the mainstream websites starting to, to pick mm -hmm. up on this. What was happening with taxes there? Because I, I obviously that's one of the big reasons that governments uh, want to <laughs> find a way to step in here. Because yeah. if you give something to, to me and, and I pay you in Bitcoin, you're not going back and reporting that to the IRS or whoever's involved, especially if you're in another country. And, and I don't know where you are and you don't know where I am. Yeah. In a situation like this, I assume the, the retailer was then going back and, and paying their local or federal taxes based on, on where they were located. Yeah, well, you know, it, it certainly varies based on your country. But mm -hmm. here in the U.S., uh, it would be the equivalent of somebody walking in and paying you with a gold brick, mm -hmm. right? That that gold brick has value. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you know, you, I'd accept that as currency. It's, it's gold, right? But you can't necessarily report that on your taxes if you if you have it as an item in your hand, right? So uh, you would either have to have it appraised and pay a value on that, or what's more common is you get it converted, right? Um, right now, Apple has billions of dollars stored in an overseas account that they haven't paid U.S. taxes on, right? If they bring that in-country to, you know, bring it into their accounts, then they have to pay it, and so they call it a tax burden. It was a big uh, campaign item in this yeah. year's elections, and uh, I'm trying to remember the buzzword they kept assigning. It was uh, repatriation of funds. Is that what it was? Yeah, I think so, so. Something yeah. like that. Uh, you know, like these funds are an immigrant. They've got to come <laughs> over and got to memorize the if, Constitution. If they, right. if they win the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, um, uh, so, so basically that, that's when Apple would pay the taxes. Same thing with Bitcoin, is that these companies were getting this, this coin that was a currency not recognized by the government. Even, even today, technically, the U.S. government doesn't recognize it as a currency. And, and that's because of a, a few different reasons. But, uh, but because it's not recognized, if you're holding a Bitcoin, it's technically untaxed. Mm -hmm. But the moment you convert that into U.S. dollars, now you just showed income. You made income from that transaction, so the taxes have to be paid then. Now, when you do online stuff, whether you have to pay sales tax or not, that, that becomes a real gray area on these things. And that's why people are calling for uh, the Department of the Treasury to, to get involved and the SEC and all these other organizations. They're just... They're trying to figure out what to do. And I think most of them probably feel like I do, that the whole thing is, is kind of BS and that it'll just collapse and go away, right? And, and so why, why put a bunch of regulation in for something that's fake and is going to go away? Well, well here's what I want to know from, from both of you. Right. What, what does that collapse look like to you? How does that collapse happen? And why doesn't that collapse happen based on what Don's saying? So I, I feel like, and you know, let me let me throw some qualifiers because some of you listening might be be yelling this at your your uh, radio or phone or whatever right now. Uh, I'm not an economist. I am not a mathematician. So you know maybe maybe I'm not the person who has the most information on this. But I know that when you have an item that has literally zero value, except for what people's perceived value is, if you buy into that, 
that's pretty foolish. And so when it collapses, when that value does drop, somebody's going to make money on it, right? And it's the people that sold you your Bitcoin or, or you know, in the, the original transactions that people already sold. Once the collapse begins, it's too late to sell and now you lose money. And so it's people who invest in something with no value are throwing their money away and they just don't realize it yet. So um, I don't know how many people have done that. And there are people out there that have put tons of money into Bitcoin. And if they're selling their coins, they're making money, they're doing well. But if anybody else, if your coins are in there, if your money is in there when that collapse happens, it's going to be lost. And I, I don't think any serious investors are leveraging Bitcoin right now. Like your your pension funds aren't being put you into Bitcoin. Tell that to the Winkle, so, Winklevoss twins. Yeah, well, they are very, very wealthy. Um, so I think your average person will be largely unaffected by Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reality is if it collapses, a lot of the people will just move over to Litecoin or Ethereum. They're already moving to Ethereum. Yeah. So you know, you'll see that. I, I don't think it'll be a catastrophic thing like the housing market crisis. Right, I just think it will be a lot of people that made bad decisions losing their money, and you know you'll probably hear some outcry. There'll probably be some lawsuits, but when you sue a bankrupt Bitcoin exchange, <laughs> you get nothing. So that that that's what I, I feel like that collapse will look like. I you know I I tend to kind of somewhat disagree um, because when we look at the gold standard, it was based on the fact that there was an actual gold behind it, and what we've done now is if we want more money, we just produce more money so does it really have value if you just keep printing it and that's what inflation comes from where in this case we're talking about a deflationary item which is bitcoin that has a finite amount and is super divisible uh compared to uh fiat currency and so i see it as a change in how we live day to day that we're just getting to adopt i mean we're already seeing that right now i mean we already have something like that happening where um, you know, we, you, you don't necessarily get um, your boss uh, send you your paycheck in $100 bills or <laughs> send you a paycheck. It's all done electronically. And so we're, I think we've been working on it slowly. And even though Bitcoin is the most popular cryptocurrency we all know of, it may not be the best. And even uh, Richard Branson said it's, it's a great start. Um, we don't know if it's the best thing. And it's almost like a beta to me. It's like we're just testing out the waters to see what may happen. So in terms of collapse, I, I don't see a collapse as in like it's going to go away. Um, I do see, and, and I, I, I tend to have a disagreement with folks who say it's, you know, it's, gonna, it's a bubble, it's going to burst, which kind of sounds like it's going to go to zero. I think it, it will correct that it may not be, you know, $20,000 a Bitcoin. It may drop to like something more reasonable because of the market and stuff like that. But I, I just don't see it going away. It's something that is going away. Right now, the percentage of people in the, the world that know and understand cryptocurrency is very small. Um, and for, for the reasons we pointed out, like being able to be as a retailer to do transactions, if you don't have enough people using it to do stuff with, then the adoption is not going to be there. And that means it will disappear eventually if we can't f solve the network issues and that kind of stuff. You know, I did hear an example that I thought was silly at the time, but the more I thought about it, it kind of became accurate was, um, if there is a Bitcoin collapse, it'll be very similar to the Beanie Baby value collapse, <laughs> right? So to a lot of us, myself included, Beanie Babies are worthless. I have no perceived value in a Beanie Baby. But to some people, there was a ton of value, and there were individual ones that were worth $900. And, and they're things. still on eBay. <laughs> and 
And today their value is, you know, in the gutter. It's not zero, like Duncan said, but but it's not anywhere near it. It corrected. People were like, hey, it's a beanbag shaped like an animal. It's yeah. the, only got so much value. So, you know, it, it may end up being something like that. And not yeah. a lot of stores accept Beanie Babies for payment. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that made me the most skeptical of the currency, though, you mentioned the forks. Right. And so with Bitcoin, the, the, the transactions were going crazy. It is reaching its limits. And so... Uh, a group of developers identified a fix for that, and the the people behind Bitcoin is actually almost like a democracy in a way. There's a lot of voting that happens. Uh, they voted not to do the fix, Correct. and so they they forked and they created. I believe it was Bitcoin Cash that was first, right? Right. And when they did that, if you had a Bitcoin, you now had some Bitcoin Cash also. Mm-hmm. You you effectively made money by doing absolutely nothing, right? So. It would be the equivalent of like the U.S. government coming in and saying, "Hey, we're going to introduce a second currency." And by the way, uh, just take whatever currency you have, and now you've got double, right? Um, they made money out of thin air, and some people assigned a perceived value to that, and so now it, it actually had some kind of value. But in reality, it, it was just if I tear a hundred dollar bill in half. I don't now have $200, but that's what they did. Now, Bitcoin Cash has dropped in value, and I, I don't know what it's at right now because – let's see if I can find that. Um, but that idea to me, the idea of making money from thin air, that makes me suspect of a currency, and that's why I don't I don't assign any real value to Bitcoin. So I'm not sure this is uh, an accurate um, comparison, but you look at the stock market, it's not unusual to see stock splits, which is essentially the same thing where it's like, all right, well now you have double the, double the number of stocks, you know, but you have half uh, the value in each of those stocks, right? But yeah, the whole point behind that is to create liquidity. Isn't sure. that the purpose? And so mm-hmm. that's essentially, I think is, it's almost analogous to that is how I look at it. Yeah. But, um, I, I guess that the difference there would be like, uh, so today's value for a Bitcoin was fifteen thousand five hundred something dollars. Today's value for a Bitcoin Cash is three thousand two hundred twenty dollars. Right, so lower. Right, not everybody perceived as much value in in that particular currency. Sure. So when they did the fork, the value of your Bitcoin went completely unaffected. I, I don't think there was even a dip right. in the radar when that mm-hmm. fork happened. So that value stayed the same. And then you got this other value that was lower, but still something. And with a stock split. It does affect the value of your first stock, uh, so it's a little bit different, but I, it, conceptually, it, it, it's similar. Right, and the other reason why you have these forks is because, like I mentioned, is because maybe somebody hacked the system and found an error in code, and they decided, oh, let's fix this, and now we're going to fork it off. And like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to have currency associated with it to have a fork. And in this particular case, it'd be somebody saying, you know, I found a better way to improve the blockchain that's behind Bitcoin. And that's why I'm forking off because I we can't agree. And I'm going to have my own because it's better, faster, and hopefully gets adopted. Again, going back to the fact that I said that it could be the beta. Bitcoin is the beta. We don't know which one the best is. And everybody's kind of playing at this game, trying to figure out a better way. Uh, maybe Bitcoin Cash becomes the one that's the the yeah. superior network. Who knows? And I think that the media is eating this whole thing up. Well, I mean, well, you know, here we are doing a show on it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, right? So, so the, the media is eating this up because it's, first off, it, it's sensational. It, it, it's technology, which everybody loves technology. Uh, it involves security. You've got cryptography and, and all that kind of going on behind the scenes. Uh, it is something digital that's all of a sudden worth a ton of money, uh, like Beanie Babies, you know, something to, to report on. Uh, but also, there are so many crazy stories behind the scenes of Bitcoin from the 
the the anonymous creator who we can't find to uh, all these these high dollar value thefts that are going on. Or my favorite one was the the Mount Gox exchange. Right, this was, this was years ago. Um, we haven't really talked about exchanges all that much. Like a, a Bitcoin would would truly be worthless if you didn't have a way to spend it. And so when the stores were accepting it, that was a way to spend it. You got value. Uh, but before stores were accepting it, we relied on exchanges that you had to be able to convert to a currency that was that was usable. Um, so one of those exchanges, one of the early ones is called Mt. Gox, M-T-G-O-X. And they would convert from Bitcoin into whatever your currency was or, or vice versa. You could buy Bitcoin. And they had a, a high visibility theft where they got emptied out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that a lot of those Bitcoins... They, they feel like the, the founder may have uh, accidentally appropriated and, and things. So that's all still being kind of shaken out. But where that story gets really funny, I never even thought about it. They, hey, it's called Mount Cox. That's a weird name, but they were based in Japan and that's it. Uh, do you guys know the history of that name? No. So the guy who created this is a true story. I, I can't make this stuff up. Um, he decided he wanted to go into business. Right. And he played the Magic the Gathering card game. Mm. And he decided to open up a website where you could buy and sell and trade Magic the Gathering cards mm. and use Magic the Gathering cards as a, again, a perceived value. You know, you, you buy and sell. And so MTGOX was Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. Really? That's what Mt. Gox That's stood for. <laughs> uh, and then after a while, he said, forget this. I'm going to, you know, jump all in on this fake currency. I'm going to go buy more Magic the Gathering cards <laughs> with this money I steal from the other side. I mean, what I don't get about this this whole thing is, you know, and we keep coming back to, you know, gold standard and things like that. I mean, gold's value is is it's made up too. I mean, gold has a certain amount of value in electronics and and you know computer hardware and a, a gold tipped you know cable is going to be better than this other cable. But the value of gold is not related to its value in in engineering and manufacturing. It's related to its aesthetic value, and it's a cultural value that we've seen for hundreds and for thousands of years that I have gold, and therefore this is some yeah. magic thing. I mean, what's an ounce of gold versus an ounce of, of copper, an ounce of lead, or you know anything anything else, really? So, you, I mean, I, I, I love the word that you're using, the, the fear. What are you calling me, fear currency? Uh, or fear? Fiat. Fiat. Oh, okay. I fear. fear. Oh, okay. I'm like, that makes <laughs> a lot more sense. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, because that—that's what it—it it, it sounds like, though. I mean, it's something that—that that it could—it could collapse tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And but really, all of these could. I feel like if if something loses you know, its perceived and, value. Right, and, and and that's you know like going back to what you're talking about about the ability to create your own cryptocurrency. Sure, everybody can. A lot of this in stuff like Bitcoin, the the source code behind the the blockchain and Bitcoin is readily available on GitHub, so you can actually go and fork it and cre- again here we go with the fork um, <laughs> and and actually build your own cryptocurrency. The the percept perceived value is where you're not trying to get community to buy in on it in order to create that value behind it, right? And so, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, what you were saying, Peter, reminded me of um, Isaac Asimov. He wrote a series of books called The Foundation Series. And, and in the first one, uh, it's about these scientists, and they, they get sent out to the edge of the universe, and they're on a planet that is, uh, there's just not a lot of metal on the planet. And so any kind of metal is very precious to them. And so they actually make their currency out of tin. Mm. And, you know, to us here on the Earth, tin is worthless. But over there, that, that was their currency. And there are planets and, and stars and things that you hear, the, the astronomers and the, the uh, astronomical researchers and stuff that they're finding where 
potentially there could be a whole planet made of gold. Well, isn't that where the and, gold came from? <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, from, yeah. from comets. And, so yeah. as we expand out to other planets, we our whole economy may get shaken at some point, depending on what happens. But uh, yeah, and, and this may just be one of those steps in that process. I, I love thinking about them and that, that that Siri is doing the math, going. Okay, how much money would it take to, to run back to Earth and just pick up all that tin <laughs> that we had and just bring that back? Is that worth it financially? To do? But um, well, I'd like I'd like to kind of put a bow on this uh, at the end here. So, so Duncan, where do you see uh, where do you see us in a year, five years from now, in terms of um, you know regulation um, value? Do you see this leveling off? Uh, you know, if I'm, I'm I've just learned a lot about Bitcoin. And so I'm thinking, maybe do I want to be involved or not, based on which one of you I agree with. Uh, but uh, you know, where where can you we expect it? I I would say to bet on the application and the use of these things, um, not so much on, for example, we keep talking about Bitcoin. It's more that's more about stored value than anything else. It's like you know what's behind it. I don't know. And so I, I say bet on the technology behind it, the blockchain technology, because uh, blockchain is, is, is available to be used for all kinds of stuff. And that's why uh, something like Ethereum exists, which um, in Ethereum, they have a thing called smart contracts. Uh, smart contracts allow you to, for example, imagine you're in the real estate business and uh, you're closing on a house. And once you get ownership, escrow has to be released. Imagine that is a smart contract that sits there waiting for that to happen. It does it automatically and not have to wait long, lengthy periods of time to happen for that to happen. So I'm saying that I think in the, the to look at is where this is going technology-wise. Uh, the currency-wise, yeah, will level off as it gets more adoption. Uh, but it's just those application, uh, you know, real-world applications that it's used for. Uh, we see where there's... Uh, new network protocols that they're working on uh, using blockchain, uh, voting mechanisms, and all kinds of stuff. And that's that's where I see the value as going to be actually. What do you think, Don? Is it does it fall apart in in the year, or well, I, I or think, does the collapse begin? <laughs> I think uh, something a little bit different is going to happen. I I think it'll go the way of like peer to peer networks, which mm -hmm. in the in the early days when peer to peer like when Napster first mm -hmm. came out and tons of people ran it and. Everybody knew they were doing something illegal, but you had the pirate party and all these people saying, we should be allowed to do this. And, you know, finally the government stepped in and said, no, you know, actually that that's illegal. And and so now Napster's gone and, and most of those technologies break down. Um, technologies like BitTorrent and in this case Bitcoin allow that, that workaround to create this, this currency that's not controlled. So I don't know about other countries, but here in the U.S., uh, it's actually a part of our national framework that the government has the right to dictate what currency we use. And the, the Constitution only makes like a light reference to this, but it's in very, very early uh, uh, legislature. You were talking like 1800s, mm -hmm. uh, where they basically said the government would control that. And so when you look at that dollar bill, when you look at that $5 bill, there's a little inscription on it that says that that piece of paper is considered legal tender for the payment of debts, right? And the the U.S. government gets to dictate what's allowed to be used for the payment of debts. So what I imagine is going to happen is probably a year or two from now, the U.S. government will pass a law saying, or just a clarification of an existing law to say, uh, Bitcoin's not not viable for the settling of debts. And, and the way they could um, legislate that, or, or it sounds like they could be involved at the exchange Portion oh, yeah, to say absolutely. that no longer can you exchange 
Bitcoin for U.S. dollars or, or shut down the exchanges that exist within within U.S. borders. Yeah, and and while that doesn't affect the rest of the world directly, once the U.S. no longer has a perceived value, we've got a pretty strong economy at least right now, and so uh, you know that that will directly affect the value of those coins. Uh, when China did it, right? You know that affected the value of the coins for a little while. Russia, I believe, either did or is going to be uh, limiting and restricting that. So. I think that'll happen, and and that'll that'll basically just derail cryptocurrencies like this. You know, governments. I don't want to sound like the conspiracy guy here, or whatever, <laughs> but but governments have to control their populations. That's kind of like why they're created, and currency is one of the ways they do it. And so this is something outside of their control. I'd really be surprised if they don't step yeah. when we have cameras on every single street corner. I just can't imagine they leave this uncontrolled. Yeah, currency, chemtrails, all the different ways that they <laughs> control us. I, I think it's important to know. What I would like to do is, and I'd, I'd like to have you back before a year, but in a year, come back, <laughs> and, and we'll either see that Duncan has uh, changed the Gainesville Dev Academy to where he just now owns Gainesville and all surrounding areas, or he lives in Don's garage, uh, unbeknownst <laughs> to Don. And uh, one of the two things is going to happen, and uh, I'd... I, you know, for your sake, I hope it's I hope it's the first one. Because... Uh, yeah, we probably end up calling it Blockchain Academy, maybe. Or something. Yeah, Blockchain there Academy. <laughs> I like that. Well, uh, thank you very much, uh, both of you. But uh, thank, thank you, you, especially Duncan, for Absolutely. coming in today and, and uh, sharing your time with us and your knowledge of, of this uh, concept and helping us kind of understand it a little bit more and uh, you know see a, a different perspective. And uh, and thank you, Don, as well. Any closing thoughts, either of you guys, or final final words? You know, of I, encouragement? I'd like to do a follow-up show at some point because uh, the, the technology behind this stuff is really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And you can use blockchain for way more than currency. So we, we should do a show at some point on like the other things you can use blockchain for because it's, it's pretty impressive. Right. And that's the technology I think is uh, far more critical to watch and see where we go with that. Absolutely. So uh, where do I find the Gainesville Dev Academy online? Online, it's uh, GainesvilleDevAcademy.com. That's Gainesville, G-A-I-N-E-S-V-I-L-L-E-D-E-V Academy, A-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com. And Gainesville Dev on Twitter, you can definitely follow there and get all the great information. Uh, and, you know, follow us too. Follow our, our podcasts here and uh, be sure to share it with your friends, like it. Uh, pass it along. Um, Duncan, you can pass this one along too. I'll, I'll share the link with you. But uh, <laughs> thank you everybody for watching. It's going to do it for us for this time. So uh, signing off until next time. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.